0: We have before us today, uh, perhaps the most vital thing any person could want in their life. At the very same time, something so often overlooked and unpursued. Speaking uh, from my own experience, anyway, it's this funny, fickle, hard to define, and even harder to find thing called wisdom. Wisdom, what is? Wisdom. Where do you get it? And more importantly, how do you apply it? For wisdom is not something to just be stored up and put on a shelf, but it's something to be used, if it's to be useful at all. Some call wisdom applied knowledge. Others have defined it as competency with regard to life's realities basically trying to order your life with the way that the universe actually works so that your life will work smoothly, right? It's, it's wisdom. And we have all sorts of, of pithy little sayings uh, that we operate by in an attempt to, to smooth out life. Uh, you know many of these proverbs, proverbs like haste makes waste, right? Or uh, early bird gets the worm, right? These proverbs that help us make decisions in life, and that's really important because we have, we have a lot of decisions to make. Way more, actually, than your, your average Old Testament ancient person. In biblical times, you didn't decide who to marry. You didn't decide where to live. You didn't decide what you did for work. All these major life decisions that they didn't have to figure out, but we do. We do, and so we desperately need wisdom more than any other generation before. We're faced with thousands of decisions. How are we possibly going to make the right ones? Well, if we're to learn wisdom, we do well to to pay attention to our main character from the story Today, a man credited as the wisest person in history. There was none like him before him, and none has arisen since, the writer of Kings wrote. And there's one pithy saying of Solomon that I want to focus on today uh, from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, which says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Of wisdom. We see this play out in our text, in Solomon's dream, and even in his life as we track it. And by looking at this, we're going to find a sort of pattern in the way of wisdom, something that can help us as we learn to benefit from wisdom in our own life. We find ourselves today back in the story with a man who wished for wisdom. And uh, that's a really good move uh, because so far in the story, right, this novel we've been reading of, of God's history, uh, there's been a lot of bad decisions, right, from Adam and Eve's decision in the Garden of Eden uh, to the decision of Joseph's brothers in their anger and jealousy over his colorful coat, uh, to the decisions of the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness and their continual testing of God, all the way down to their decision... To ask for a human king, thereby rejecting the God who was intended to be their king. Of course, all these decisions are happening down here, in in the lower story, right down here on earth where, where we live and move and walk around. But in God's upper story, he has still been weaving his plan of salvation, even through the foibles and frustrations and and foolish decisions of his people. He's promised a savior by the seed of Eve, and one who will come from the lineage of Joseph's own broken home and family, one who will even be a king in the line of David. It's with this backdrop that we meet our man Solomon the second-born son of David with Bathsheba, whom God raised up to be king at the the ripe young age of 20. And young though he is, Solomon shows great wisdom because he fears the Lord. Fears the Lord. We saw it at the end of our text, uh, him offering these great sacrifices and offerings to God. We didn't read it, um, but in verse 4, right before our text, we hear that Solomon made it a, a regular practice to, to offer huge offerings to God regularly because he loved God. He feared God. And then in his dream, Solomon, he has this amazing opportunity where God asks him to name anything. Name anything in the world. And what does Solomon ask for? Not riches, not power over his enemies, not health, long life. No, Solomon instead asks for something that will help him rule, something that will actually help him love his neighbor. He asks for wisdom to govern, a discerning mind. Solomon had put in the center of his life a love for God and a love for others. And what did this produce for Solomon, right? Not just what he asked for, not just the wisdom, but all the things that he didn't ask for. The peace, the prosperity, the riches. Uh, we, we read in Solomon's life that he reigns like no other king before him. He makes a- alliances and treaties and truces with all the surrounding nations and, and they start bringing him loads of goods. Gold and silver and timber and iron. And he builds up this empire. And he builds God a magnificent temple, the temple that David dreamed about. Solomon gets to build. And all this comes. Israel becomes truly a holy nation, set apart from the rest of the world, so much so that when the queen of Sheba comes to visit, she actually praises Yahweh for how he has blessed his people. And all this because Solomon had put his trust in true wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, I don't want to suggest to you today that that if you follow God as hard as you can, that all of these things, riches, riches, and wealth, and prosperity, all these things are just going to follow you and flow into your life in kind of an unending, constant uh, flow of blessing. But I am saying that there is a sort of pattern with how wisdom works, and God does reveal it in Solomon's life. If you notice, but God was, he was pleased when Solomon asked for what he had asked, when he asked for wisdom. Because so often in life, it's all those other things that actually become our demise when we make them primary things. All those things that Solomon did not ask for, when those things become our kings or our lords, that's when they bring to us destruction. Because fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's a connection between your Lord and your wisdom, right? What I mean is is whatever your Lord is, whatever that highest primary thing in your life is, that's going to determine your wisdom. That's going to determine the choices you make. That's going to be your operating principle, whatever that highest thing is. So if you follow the true king, you'll have true wisdom. If you follow the red king, you'll have red wisdom. And if you follow the blue king, you'll have blue wisdom. You see, there's, there's lots of things that you can order your life with that will give you a certain wisdom. And you got you to know this, that we are all, we are all ordering our lives after something. We're just built that way. But the question is, which one of these things will actually pay out? Which king will actually give what he offers? For instance, uh, say you make money, your your king, your highest primary thing. You're going to make decisions on that basis, right? Because wherever your wisdom is, there your uh, 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 decisions follow. Whatever your Lord is, there your wisdom is. So if money is your Lord and you're faced with uh, two jobs, one pays a bit more than the other well if money is your is your king you're going to go with a higher paying job i mean it's simple no question right it's the easy pick but here's the problem the problem is that any wisdom that comes from anything other than the true king ends up being foolishness on its own terms right so you, you choose the higher paying job it seems to make sense, right? Why not? You make more money. But what happens when you get into that job? You find out that you're actually burdened in the job. It weighs on you, right? Because it's not a, it's not a great fit. The other job, the lower-paying job, would have used your skills better. It was something that was more suited to you, but you went with the higher-paying job, and so now you know, you're grinding it out week after week, and you're kind of miserable in it, and you end up spending more money because you've got to make life less of a drag, and you've got the money to do it. But at the end of the day you should have just went with the lower-paying job. You would have been happier. See, the, the higher-paying job, it ends up kind of collapsing under its own weight. It, it's foolishness. It doesn't pay out. I remember actually seeing this play out in, in a real person's life. Not with two jobs, but a guy by the name of Michael Larson. Michael Larson was a guy uh, back in the 80s who made it onto the game show Press Your Luck. I love game shows. If you don't love game shows, I'll explain it quick to you. Press your luck. Uh, the, the idea is there's this board, and it's got different monetary figures, right? And lights are kind of flashing on the board, right? And you've got to press the button to stop on you know, the highest figure if you're lucky, right? But the boards change, and they change, right? And, and, and the lights are flashing around, and every so often, the, the lights land on something called the whammy. You want to avoid the whammy. It's a little red devil, and he kind of snarls at you when you pick him. You know, he laughs in your face. Michael Larson, in his trailer home in Ohio, while he was unemployed, he became obsessed with Press Your Luck. He loved that show. And what he realized is there was a pattern. The lights flashed around and the boards changed, but only for so long, and then they came right back around. And the same pattern came back again. And Michael Larson memorized the pattern, and he practiced in his trailer home, and and finally he applied, and you know what? Amazingly, he got accepted onto the game show, Press Your Luck. He used up almost all of his life savings to fly out to Los Angeles and to be on the show, And, and he went on to press his luck, right? And he won big, bigger than any other contestant on any other game show ever before him. He he walked away with 110 some thousand dollars like 300k today. But you know what happened when he got home? Things collapsed. Michael Larson returned home to Ohio and one evening he went out to a Christmas party. And you know Michael being concerned as he was with his money, he didn't put it in banks. That was not reliable. Right? He kept it stashed in his house. Well, he returned home in $50,000. We're gone. Well, who could have done this? Right, now he's, now he's tense and now he's paranoid. Who, who's stolen from him? And it starts to cripple and crumble his relationship because he can't trust anybody. Not with his precious money. He ends up divorcing his wife. He can't keep a relationship. He, he doesn't find work. Instead, he tries to find all these get-rich-quick schemes. I can't imagine why he would do that. And they don't pan out. They don't play out. They keep crumbling and crumbling. Eventually, he, he uh, succumbs to a throat cancer. In 1999, while the SEC is still pursuing him, a lawsuit against him for his corrupt uh, practices, some organizations he'd gotten involved with. You see what happened when he made money, his lord, his king, his wisdom... He couldn't actually hold on to it. He couldn't attain it. The very thing that he was after, which he tried to hold on to, slipped from his fingers. Like a vapor, like a wind. He couldn't grab it. That same logic can be applied to anything in your life. Maybe money is not a danger for you as a king, but maybe your work is. Maybe you you take pride in your work, you know, separate from the money, just just excellence in your work, right? Recognition. It sounds so much nobler than than just money. But what happens in this scenario? If work really becomes your king, if that's your wisdom, you'll end up choosing work over rest. You'll end up choosing work over relationships, work over family. And what you'll find in the outcome is that the, the irony... All those things will work against your work, right? Your work will go down in quality because you need rest and you need relationships. The very thing you try to attain falls through your fingers. It's foolishness. What if your king is parenthood, being a good mom or a good dad? You want to just provide the best for your kids. And you see, this isn't wrong, but it's It's dangerous if it becomes the most important thing in your life. Because if it does, then you start living out your own life kind of through your kids. And you start choosing things for them, things that you you just know they're going to be good for them, they're going to be the best for them, and you keep pushing it on them because you have to. You have to be that best parent. See, If you do that over and over again, your kids inevitably will be worn down from you. They'll start to despise you the thing that you were after, parenthood, will end up falling through the cracks. We see this principle play out in Solomon's life, actually. It's interesting. At the beginning, he, it's like he held the secret to wisdom, right? The, the Fearing the Lord was the beginning of his wisdom. He was competent in regards to life's realities because he had put his hope and his trust, and his focus on the one who had actually ordered life's reality. He was in tune with his creator. But by the end, he he loses his focus. Uh, Chapter 11 tells us that Solomon had a thousand wives, uh, many of them from foreign nations. And that was common, right? As a king, you would marry other uh, king's daughters to create alliances and treaties. But God had warned Solomon against this kind of thing. He warned his people about this kind of intermarriage because God knew the foolishness of man's heart and how quick it is to follow other lords. And so we hear what happened in 1 Kings 11 verse 4. It says, When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord. And you know what went with it? The peace and the prosperity in the kingdom. Adversaries get raised up against Solomon, and in his kingdom gets ripped in half. We'll hear more about that next week. Because when you make something king and Lord that is not the true king, it just it buckles under the weight. It can't hold that. It falls through the cracks. Solomon would say as much if you'd read his words in Ecclesiastes. That's another work of Solomon and his wisdom. He talks about when he let his life uh, go on to pursue pleasure, his heart and his, and his life, to follow pleasure, right? These women in his life. And he'll talk about how by the end of it, it was all vanity. It was, it was a vapor in the wind, it was like a fleeting breath. He couldn't hold on to it, it was foolish. What is the thing in your life that you've been insisting upon? The thing that you just, you have to have. You want it so badly that you're ordering your life by it. And this is not to say that you can't enjoy things in life, right? It's not only God and and nothing else, but it's a matter of priorities. It's God first and then family and then work and then the next and the next it's it's the true king on the top and everything else beneath it because if you if you chase anything else believe you me you'll never get it and if you do you'll find that it it ends up collapsing underneath you the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom But there's another key to Solomon's wisdom. And it's this. It's that the reverse is also true. Right? If you make something your ultimate thing and you spend your life trying to pursue it, you'll end up losing it. You won't be able to hold on to it. But the reverse is true. When you give up something, that's when you find that you can actually hold on to it. When you let something go, that's when you find that you can have it. Right? When, you, when you stop trying to force romance in your life, right? when you stop needing to have a girlfriend, that's when you find a girlfriend. That's when you find a spouse. You're more poised. You're not so worried about it. When you loosen your grip on money, that's when you experience real richness, right? generosity. The things we give up are the things that we're actually able to take a hold of. And we know this is true because there was someone, a man once who gave it all. And what did he gain? When Jesus came to this planet, when he gave up his life, what did he gain? And remember that Jesus, when he gives up his life, that's different than us because our lives are already a gift. But it wasn't a gift. Jesus' life wasn't a gift. It was his. It was his to take and to hold on to, but he chose to gave it up. He chose to to give it all away, to take on hell, to lose it all. And what did he gain? Philippians 2. he, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, Jesus not only gained back his life by losing it, but he gained everything. He became the ultimate king. The throne, it was his. All the rest of the world is a footstool to him because he gave it up. He gave up and lost way more than we ever will, but he gained so much more, and that's why he has so much to give. Every other king, when we pursue it, it collapses But not Jesus' kingship, because Jesus, when he gave up his life, he also gained what he was most after, and that was you. He gained you. If you serve any other lord or king, you'll always be nervous in the service, always fearing that you're going to lose it in the end, but you can't lose this king, not the true king, because he has already won you. So how do we apply this today? What do we take away from from Solomon? Seek wisdom, true wisdom, the wisdom that actually pays out. Saturate your heart with God's Word and with His wisdom, His rules for your life, and you will find that, that things do go better for you. But know that you're placing your bets on the best payout possible. And the peace and the prosperity... And the riches, that is coming, too. And it is guaranteed. But the second thing is, just relax. Relax. And the multiplicity of decisions we have to make. Because if Jesus is your king, if he's your source of wisdom, then he's not just a king who sits idly by. He's not passive. He's active for you. If you're worried about this or that decision down here in the lower story, know that God is up there weaving together His plan for your life as well. If you make a mistake, He'll weave it in. Jesus will weave it in. He'll He'll get you where you need to be. Relax. Make make your decisions. Uh, Pray to Him, and and don't be paralyzed by fear. God doesn't give us... a watertight argument in his wisdom. But he does give us a watertight person. Come to him. God doesn't give us a set of concepts to believe in. He gives us a person to believe in. Come to him. Wisdom says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live in Jesus name amen i invite you to rise as we stand now to confess our faith